this episode of the old man's podcast i'm staying with the theme of classics this classic conversation is going to be on the topic of movies that's right i'm going to talk about eight decades of classic movies all genres all interesting now look we all have different taste you and i and everybody else appreciate different kinds of movies but all like the same thing just because we have different tastes doesn't mean we should maybe not try something a little bit different. So I'm going to throw out a list of Hall of Fame classic films that, in my opinion, everyone should see. And maybe you'll find a hidden gem that you never really knew about, never thought about seeing. And you'll check it out and be happy that you did. Maybe that's why everybody should listen to the Old Man's Podcast. Pass it on. Here we go. Classic movies on this episode of the Old Man's Podcast. There's a lot going on here, so I'm not going to Mickey Mouse around and get just get to the point so that um, don't take up all your time. I'm also going to try to make this one fun for you. So here's what I'm thinking. I've selected my movies going back. The oldest one is 1933. And I know... I got some movie fans out there. Some of you probably aren't. You're probably just curious about what I got going on here, like a train wreck or something, and see where this is going to take you. Well, we're going to play a game. So I'm going to give you a quote or a fun fact or a piece of trivia or a star of a particular movie and see if you can guess what movie it is. As I said, I'm going back to 1933 is the oldest one. So this is better than eight decades of movies that are considered to be classics, not just by me, although I'm all I care about right now. So it's my opinion that matters. It's my show. But at any rate, um, this research got some expert opinions on what constitutes a classic movie and then um, went with that. So let's see how you score on your knowledge of classic movies. If you can get a lot of these right, you are going to be classified a classic movie expert. That's how cool is that? This is like going to school. All right? But you don't need books. Here we go. First one up. I hate snakes. And the lead character is named after the family dog. The dog's name, Indiana. The character, Indiana Jones. And man, did he hate snakes. So Raiders of the Lost Ark is first one up. My category, by the way, is action and adventure. This 1981 film Raiders of the Lost Ark might be as good an action 
movie as you could ever expect to see. He doesn't want to be a hero, but uh, he can be. It's also kind of funny, like the look on his face. Remember when a guy came at him with the sword and he just pulled out his gun and shot him? I guess I shouldn't say that it's funny. I, well, somebody lost their life, but it wasn't a real person. It was just a story. All right, second one up. You are not going to get this one. I'm just telling you right now. This is an oddity that I doubt any of you have seen. But if you like movies, you should see this one. It, um, I don't know if it's a reboot, but it was the idea behind a movie that I really enjoyed as, as a kid. Yul Brenner's Magnificent Seven. And the Magnificent Seven was redone recently, like in the last couple years, and Denzel Washington was the star. Anything Denzel does is going to be good, and this movie is no exception to Magnificent Seven. But do you know the Japanese film, that's right, going internationally here, the Japanese film that the Magnificent Seven is based on? A poor farming community pooled its resources and hires seven samurai to protect them from a brutal gang of bandits that keep stealing their harvest every year. It's the same story as the Magnificent Seven. The original film, 1954, is The Seven Samurai. Yes, it's black and white, but don't let that scare you. If you like action movies and you got a flavor for history, go with The Seven Samurai. You look this stuff up on Netflix, Prime, Hulu, you can find it. It's findable. This one's done by John Ford. It has been critically acclaimed as a cinematic classic. It's a Western, but whether it's a Western or not, experts on the subject of movies consider it as a classic. John Wayne plays a character named Ethan Edwards. His character is a pathological racist, and yet the enduring template for really what became today's modern anti-hero. Ethan Edwards is searching for his niece who was kidnapped by a band of Comanches. So that's the 1956 film, The Searchers. What you hoped would become a rescue mission actually starts off as an assassination trip. He wants to find her and kill her because she's lived with the Comanches too long to ever come back and be a normal human being, I guess. But the end has a little bit of a twist. If you haven't ever seen The Searchers, you need to see The Searchers. Another 1980s action adventure. You're going to get this one right away. Yippee Kaye, Mother. I don't have to finish it because you know how it finishes because you know the movie's Die Hard. This might just be the perfect action movie. It's certainly hard to think of one better, or at least one that hasn't been as imitated as much. I mean, there's been Die Hard on a boat under siege, was that movie. Remember uh, the Van Damme movie, Sudden Death? That was Die Hard in a Hockey Arena. And I can remember a 1990s film, Die Hard in a Private School, called Masterminds. There's lots of Die Hard imitations. Bruce Willis made being an action hero something a regular fella could do. It wasn't just some big muscle head. Alright, next up. Frankly, Scarlet, I don't give a damn. You know, that's gone with the wind. 1939. I'm going to talk about that year again in a second. Gone with the Wind became the highest earning film made up to that point. Now, of course, the film industry wasn't even half a century old, so big deal, right? 
Well, if you adjust for inflation, it is still today the highest grossing film in history. Talk about popularity, right? I I said 1939 was a big year. Lots of things came out in 1939. I'm not going to talk about John Wayne coming out with Stagecoach. Oops, I just did. Because that deserves mention. That's why. But the other big film in 1939 had you following the yellow brick road because you're off to see the wizard. Yep, Wizard of Oz. All three of those mega films came out in 1939. What's interesting about the Wizard of Oz is that the real world when Dorothy lives in Kansas was shot in black and white film. And then as soon as she gets to Oz, where the yellow brick road is, it all went to what was relatively new, color. And... I think that's really interesting. That was smart, uh, smart production work. Way to go, guys. Hey, that's it for Action Adventure. I love action movies, but in terms of significant, classic action movies that had an effect on the genre or effect on the industry of movies themselves, that's it. Now, you may differ. You may think there's more. That's great. You should. Comedy. I love comedies. I could go all day long with comedies. But I didn't. I just whittled this one down to the ones that I thought had made a significant impact on the industry of film. And the first one, I believe, did. It's a musical. And what's this guy doing in the rain? Yeah, he's singing in the rain. That was 1952. Now, I wasn't going to do musicals, but I think this one deserves some credit i feel like and as i did the research and looked at the data that was available it seems like this was the first really super popular straight up musical besides white christmas so i believe those two movies have um, had at the time in the 50s shown producers and movie makers that you can do a musical for the big screen and it can be successful so, Singing in the Rain, I mean, it's iconic, right? What's the first thing you do if it's raining and you're stuck out in the rain? You start singing, or at least it gets in your head. It does me. Singing in the Rain is just something you want to do. That's a classic movie with a classic scene and a classic line. Even if you've never seen a movie, you still know the meaning of Singing in the Rain. Now, you probably didn't see this one. If you're over the age of 60, you might have. I know I did. This is a Stanley Kubrick genius comedy. It's dark, man. It's the darkest comedy. Peter Sellers is in it. He's unhinged by all means. And he plays three separate parts. Anybody know? You got a guy sitting on a bomb? Yeah, I gave it away right there. Dr. Strangelove, or another title that it went by, was How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. The height of the Cold War in 1964 that movie made an impact on society it was politically leaning and it just it just was timely dr strangelove check that movie out in 1980 one of the most quotable movies ever that i've seen came out i'll give you one of these quotes and i'll bet you know looks like i picked the wrong week to quit amphetamines in the 70s disaster movies were huge poseidon adventure airport so these guys did a spoof on disasters movies. What an airport is an airplane. Surely this is a classic comedy. 
and you don't call me Shirley. See what I did there? Don't call me Shirley. Okay. Anyway, next one up. Now, this is the oldest one. This is the one I told you about from 1933, and it's Marx Brothers. It's Duck Soup. I know you haven't seen it, but I suggest you get on the internet and search for it and find it and watch it. It's a political satire. This is right in the heart of the Depression, 1933. The movie's only 68 minutes long, but it's a masterpiece. And uh, if you like comedies and you've never seen the Marx Brothers, sure, it's uh, slapstick and, you know, not very witty, but it's funny. And slapstick needs to make a comeback because Marx Brothers, the Three Stooges, somebody needs to redo all that slapstick stuff. All right, this one was my one of my favorite movies as a kid. I was nine years old when it came out. I saw it, and I was just uh, mesmerized by it. And you probably were, too. Dick Van Dyke plays a crackpot inventor. Caracatus Potts. Professor Potts is a widowed father. He has two precocious kids. Got the movie yet? Chitty, chitty, bang, bang, chitty, chitty, bang, bang. Yeah, it's a car. I was singing the song. It's a car. And it can fly. He invents this car. It does everything. It flies. It's a boat. It's a car that can do everything. And for a small kid, it was magical. Four years prior to that was another Disney film with Dick Van Dyke again. And uh, he's a chimney sweep. You got that, right? Mary Poppins. So that's another musical. I didn't think it was... Um, is significant in terms of how it affected the genre as Singing in the Rain, but I do think it's a significant film. It did get a sequel recently. You may have saw that in the last couple of years. I gotta tell you, I almost liked that one better, but the Mary Poppins in the sequel, a little more believable. She's kind of strict or stern, as you would expect an English nanny to be. And get this, Dick Van Dyke's in the second one too. He gets up on a desk and dances. It's amazing. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. Okay, that's it for my comedies. I, I love comedies. Didn't put a whole bunch in there. I'm looking for classic ones, significant films that change the industry. So even though Anchorman's a great classic, it didn't change the industry. Many of the comedies that I love and that we all love, just they don't get to be called classics because they really didn't change much about the um, industry. But they're great. I can watch a comedy every day. Okay, here's a favorite category of mine for the big screen, science fiction. I've always enjoyed science fiction when I was a kid. I read science fiction. There wasn't as much uh, to see at the movies in science fiction as there has been in recent years. But science fiction is a great genre and it looks wonderful when done right on the big screen. Now I'm going to start with the best one. In a galaxy far, far away. That's right. The longest running franchise of science fiction for sure maybe just the longest running franchise in movie history it's an industry unto itself and it's still purring along marvelously I loved watching the uh, Mandalorian which is on Disney so the first one holds up with the rest of them even though it was made in 1977 Star Wars and not long after that so the um, I guess the genre of science fiction is taken off there was a really good one it came out in 1979 and one thing that it did is it introduced us to action heroines not just heroes heroines this action heroine sigourney weaver was tough she was badass 
and there were super scary double-jawed creatures that she killed with impunity. So, what was the movie? Alien. Great special effects in an era that was really where special effects was just starting. My name is Hal. Do you know that movie? Well, it was predicting the future. It was made in 1968 and it was telling us what might take place in 2001. They're off. That 19 years ago. Didn't happen. 2001 A Space Odyssey. It was way ahead of its time. This is another Stanley Kubrick. It's a story of technological progress and disaster. And I'll tell you what, he's cynical for sure about the future, but it felt prophetic then, and it feels just as prophetic now, 50 years later, especially the AI part, because that's what Hal is. Hal's an AI that turns on his human overlords. Can you guess this one? You finally did it, you maniacs. You blew it all to hell. I didn't realize this, but Rod Sterling actually wrote the script for Planet of the Apes. And it has a bit of a Rod Sterling feel to it. How did I know that? We're following an astronaut played by Charlton Heston. It's twisty, so that's kind of where that Twilight Zone Rod Sterling plot comes from. Uh, There's been a lot of of, um, Planet of the Apes movies made since then but all of them are measured against that first one which was in my opinion the best one now after they did that first one the planet of the apes in 1968 they did four sequels all the way to battle of the planet of the apes they did them pretty quick that was 1973 when the fourth the fifth version was done tim burton got to do a remake about 19 years ago so right around the turn of the century 2001 there was a remake of the original Planet of the Apes with Tim Burton. It was okay. But they rebooted the series uh, 10 years ago. The first one came out in 2011. And they did another one in 2014 and another one in 2017. So Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and War for the Planet of the Apes. You might remember in a previous podcast when cinematic critic Ryan Batliner and I were discussing this. We felt like there should be one more, that there just hasn't been closure on the Planet of the Apes. Well, it's been three years, and I don't think it's coming. That's a shame. All right, I'm going to go to another category. That's it for science fiction. I'm going to go to thrillers. And this is my biggest category because these movies grab my attention. The first one is one of my absolute favorites. One day, and that day may never come, I will need you to do a favor for me. Every mob movie from this 1972 classic, The Godfather, every mob movie, whether it's Goodfellas, Casino, TV series like The Sopranos, they all owe their legiancy, if you will, to the legacy left behind by the Corleone family and The Godfather. And this one was one of them. You picture Joe Pesci, do I make you laugh? Am I a clown or something? That was the 1990 Goodfellas. I love Goodfellas. It was the whole cast. Great movie. Makes me wonder what's my fascination with the mob lifestyle. It's tragic. Those guys all everything ends up bad. They either go to jail or end up dead. Almost always dead. I, I guess that's the train wreck thing. I can't stop looking at it. All right, next up, 1960 
movie. It's uh, probably, in my opinion, the birth of the psychological thriller. It's an Alfred Hitchcock film, of course. And I've never gotten in a shower without remembering the scene of the shower in the movie Psycho from 1960. Hey, fun fact. Psycho, I learned, is the first film that ever had a toilet being flushed in it. The sound of a toilet being flushed in Psycho. So I guess you actually got to see it. That had never happened. That's kind of interesting. Okay, here's a 1975 thriller, one of the thrilling thrillest of all. We're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah, one of the most suspenseful movies ever made, Jaws. And uh, it's probably limited the amount of time I've been willing to spend in the ocean ever since 1975. So 45 years ago, my swimming in the ocean time has been cut down significant. None of you are going to get this one. Uh, probably only a few of you have actually seen it. Let's see if you can get this one. I don't have any quotes from it. It wouldn't do you any good because you wouldn't recognize them. But I'll set you up with the uh, scene. And if you've missed this, if you have missed this film, go get it. Rent it out. Or find it. You know, do a search. Find out where you can watch it. Because two of my favorite actors are in this. Robert De Niro, who you're going to hear more films from Robert De Niro than probably any other actor out of my list, and Al Pacino. They were together on this movie from 1995. It was the first time they were ever on screen at the same time. Technically, they weren't. I'll tell you about that in a second. The name of the movie is Heat. That's a masterpiece, as I said, of those two great actors. One playing a stoic master criminal and the other is an obsessed cop who wants to bring the criminal down. Now, my allegiance, and yours probably would too if you watched it, changes as the plot is unveiled. You want to root for the, the cop, but you also feel like the criminal's got reasons why he's doing it. It turned in a, and then sometimes a cop makes himself look like the bad guy. So I think this one, if you like cops and robber movies, this is the last word on that one for sure. And it has a magic to it, kind of, that a crime thriller, even today, tries to recapture. So, fun fact on this, De Niro and Pacino weren't ever actually on the set at the same time. There's one scene where they're in a diner, talking to each other, in a booth across from each other. The scenes were shot separately. Apparently, they didn't have it in their schedule that they could be together at the same time. So, they shot the scene looking at De Niro. They shot the scene looking at Pacino. Uh, probably used doubles for the back of their heads so it looked like he was talking to somebody and then spliced it all together and edited it out and it looks like they're having a conversation in a diner. They weren't anywhere near each other. Very, very interesting. Alright, next one up. I See Dead People. A 1999 film, The Sixth Sense. Now, The Sixth Sense was a word-of-mouth hit long before it ever hit the big screen. And the reason is that twisty ending that we all came to love. I love twisty endings anyway. This is the twisty ending to beat all twist. It's got to be one of the most unforgettable endings in movie history. And that was a part of the huge marketing campaign. Really, they didn't spend a lot of money on it. It was just word-of-mouth. And people had to see what the twisty ending was. And I dig the twist. 
There's another movie that's got a twisty ending that I really like. I can't give you this quote without giving away, so I'm going to do a fill in the blank. What happens in fill in the blank stays in fill in the blank. Blank's not filled by Vegas clowns. It's Fight Club. That's another twisty ending. That's a real twisty ending. It was great. Uh, that's black. It is a comedy, but it's a blacker than black comedy. I stuck it here in thrillers because it's pretty thriller. If you like uh, dark comedy and a lot of punching, you got to see Fight Club. Now, I had a couple of thrillers that I wanted to pick out because they have a military theme, and I really do enjoy um, watching films with a military theme. And, and they're still making those today. Like recently, 1917 came out. Great movie. It may be a classic, but it hasn't gone more than 20 years yet. You know my deadlines. First one up is a 1963 film. And listen to the actors are in here. This should give it away to you. Steve McQueen, the coolest man ever. Charles Bronson, James Garner, Richard Attenborough. That was before he was uh, in Jurassic Park letting dinosaurs loose. Who's that guy? James Colburn, and it's based on a true story from World War II. The name of the movie, The Great Escape. It was a great one. Now, that came out in 63, a year before that. Another movie was made with a military theme. This one was kind of like if you liked uh, Saving Private Ryan with the, um, the D-Day aspect of the whole thing. That's what this movie is about. It's about the D-Day experience, if you will. Now, who's in this? I'll give you the names, and then you'll probably get it. I hope. Well, the Duke, the great one, John Wayne, Robert Mitchum, Richard Burton, Sean Connery, long before he was ever 007, Henry Fonda, Red Buttons, Peter Lawford, Eddie Albert. If you know those names, this is the only movie that comes close to having all of them in there. With this movie, accuracy was gold. And several of the cast members had actually seen action as servicemen during World War II. They were replicating, at least as best they could, the events that surrounded D-Day. And as German General Erwin Rommel said, that's going to be the longest day. We have to stop him at the beach. D-Day, which he knew was coming, was going to be the longest day. That's the name of the movie. So the film employed German and Allied military consultants, people who had really been there. German officers, British officers, Canadian officers, American officers, of course. And accuracy was what they were striving to get. So if you're interested in military history at all and you've never seen The Longest Day, you really need to. Now, it's black and white. That, to me, gives it the feel of historicness. But they did do a colorized version later on have to see color then you can do that all right let's go to drama what is a movie if it's not dramatic right i think the first one that was i need to mention had had groundbreaking filming techniques so it used this new technique called deep focus photography which allowed the camera to focus in on a person. Scenery around wasn't gonna be necessarily blurry like regular camera techniques. Anyway, Citizen Kane from 1941 is the movie and it's recognized by all critics as being a classic and ushered in some new filming techniques that are still in place today. 
I'll bet you none of you would have hit this one as a great film. Well, because it is a great film, but you wouldn't have thought about it. It was um, 1989, and it was Spike Lee. The movie has lost none of its relevance. In fact, if anything, it's gained some. What movie was it? Do the Right Thing. It's the first major film I recall making a social statement that actually affected our society. This film by Spike Lee, Do the Right Thing, in 1989, I think had an effect on how we looked at the world around us and the world that we were making. And that's probably the most you can ask of a film that it can make an impact on people's lives. Do the right thing did. Alright, next quote. Hamburgers, the cornerstone of any nutritious breakfast. The quotee, Jules Winfield. And there wasn't a whole lot of quotes I could use from him that didn't have bad words in them. I didn't want to submit you to that. So this is the one I went with. Hamburgers, the cornerstone of any nutritious breakfast. That's from Pulp Fiction. 1994. It's violent, but it's kind of like that train wreck. You just can't take your eyes off of it. I don't have a quote for you in this one. I'll tell you it was a 1962 film, and it was a huge movie, cinematically speaking. I mean, the set was enormous. It was set with Arabian landscapes. It was groundbreaking at the time, not just to do an outside film. People had done films off the set and in lo- on location before. But this was enormous because it was North Africa. And, of course, the movie is Lawrence of Arabia. Here's a movie that takes us back to the 30s. And it had two great actors in it, Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty. It was game-changing. The action was the way the film was made. It was fun. It was morally all over the place. The characters that were being played by Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty were definitely bad people. I mean, it's Bonnie and Clyde, right? Bonnie and Clyde, 1967 film. But the movie was able to kind of replicate what was really going on at the time, almost make you a fan of them at a time, or at least feel sorry for them. If you're unafraid of blood and bullets, it's a pretty gory film. If you've never seen the original Bonnie and Clyde from 1967, I'd recommend you do that. Another super weird film that came out in 1979. It's uh, Francis Ford Coppola. It's a Vietnam War classic. And Martin Sheen, young Martin Sheen, heads up river to kill a renegade colonel played by Marlon Brando. That movie is, of course, Apocalypse Now. Now, there's a lot of weird stuff going on. On his way up the river, he's surfing. There's a thrilling helicopter raid. Uh, we're smelling napalm in the morning. That was supposed to be good. Uh, somebody gets attacked by a tiger, and he's just throwing some Playboy bunnies, and it's kind of a crazy movie. But uh, that's kind of what Vietnam was. I think that's what they were trying to portray. Once Martin Sheen steps off the boat, he's in a different kind of world. It's just crazy. That scene with the fireworks and all that, I mean, Vietnam just, it looks like a mess. And it, and it was. So this movie did a good job portraying that. Are you talking to me? I don't see anybody else here. You must be talking to me. Are you talking to me? You guys recognize that one? 1976, Taxi Driver. Yeah, again, it's another Robert De Niro. Um, we're going to have more De Niro movies in here than anything else, especially on the thriller, because he's done some classics. 
Okay, 1959. This movie is 61, almost 62 years ago. And I know that because it was the year I was born. A smoky pool hall. Okay, Paul Newman is a pool shark. His name is Fast Eddie Felson. He's trying to hustle his way into the billiard major leagues. He gets in over his head in a high-stakes rivalry with a legend in pool, Minnesota Bats, played by Jackie Gleason. Did you get it yet? It's called The Hustler. It's a good one, guys, really. If you have never seen The Hustler, see it. And then, right after that, watch the follow-up. Because a sequel, like... I don't know, 25 years later comes out. Might even been longer than that. It was 1986. I just looked that up. So 60, 26 years later, a sequel comes out with a hot new actor by the name of Tom Cruise. So now Paul Newman's character, Fast Eddie, Fast Eddie Felson, he gets back into the game of billiards when he takes on this young hotshot, Tom Cruise, and he becomes his mentor. That movie, The Color of Money. So if you have seen The Color of Money, you should go back and watch The Hustler, the movie that started the whole thing. If you haven't seen either one of them, go get them. All right, this one is great. Here we go. I use this one all the time playing video games with my kids. No dumb bastard ever won a war by dying for his country. He won it by making the other poor dumb bastard die for his. Who said that? George Patton. This 1970 movie was fantastic. George C. Scott played a great Patton. You know, I didn't realize this, but filmmaker Francis Ford Coppola wrote the story. He didn't direct it. He wasn't part of the production, but he wrote the story. Kind of where he got his start. If you're a big fan of Coppola's, that just makes it even that more tastier to catch this film. I think that opening scene in Patton where he's addressing his troops and standing in front of this gigantic flag, it's iconic, and it might just be the best movie opening ever. If you haven't seen Patton, check it out. Now this one, this is an interesting movie. I remember seeing it when I was in high school. It was two years after Richard Nixon's 1974 resignation, and it's kind of a docudrama about the Watergate break-in and how that all came to be. So it was kind of gutsy to do that so soon after the actual event. The name of the movie, All the President's Men, came out in 1976. It was great. It was um, a masterpiece, really. The dialogue is riveting. If you like political thrillers, and this one's probably been the blueprint for everyone since, you need to go back and hit All the President's Men. Sometimes filmmakers uh, use a technique that's really simple. They just film and make their movie in black and white. Like Young Frankenstein was done in black and white, so it looked like it was an older film. That was done with this one. I'll give you the quote, see if you can name the movie. I could have been a contender. The movie, Raging Bull. And again, another Robert De Niro. It's kind of a true, not kind of, it is a true story about the boxer world champion, Jake LaMotta. Jake LaMotta was quite a character and De Niro plays him, I guess, as a T as much as any of us can tell. It's a mashup of grit and beauty with the gloves on. LaMotta is in his element. But you take him off and he's a sociopath consumed by jealousy. 
and his buddy Joe Pesci is in this one with him. So if you like Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci together, and who doesn't, and you haven't seen The Raging Bull, then you need to. So about 60 years ago, I guess halfway through the last century, gumshoe flatfoot detective shows were real popular. The most popular one featured a uh, detective by the name of Sam Spade. And in this movie, Sam Spade is looking for something very important. This is from 1941, and it stars Humphrey Bogart. Do you know which movie it is? The Maltese Falcon. It was a real trailblazer, especially for the era. It became a template for all the film noir flicks that would follow. Bogart plays a jaded but a noble gumshoe. That was the word of the time for a private detective. Yeah, there's a female in it, the, the female fatale, the, and a couple shifty villains, and you've got a plot that still catches you today, kind of grabs you by the nose and drags you around all over the place. You don't know where you're going from one moment to the next, but it's intriguing, and it keeps you in there. While I'm on Humphrey Bogart, I'm going to do one more. I know you're going to know this one. Play it again, Sam. Casablanca, 1942. Now, I have to, hopefully some of you know this, but I have to be honest. Play it again, Sam. Although people think that is the quote, it really wasn't. The actual thing that's said in the movie is, play it, Sam. Play as time goes by. And comedians or whoever... It was, this movie was such a classic that that line became played again, Sam. Everybody knows what movie we're talking about, but it's not the right quote. It was filmed during World War II. It was set in North Africa during World War II. And when the Allies invaded North Africa in 1942, that's the year this thing came out. It was like perfect, perfect timing. So Bogart plays an ex-American he kind of moved away from America and opened up a business there in Morocco and North Africa. He opens up a bar. It's called the uh, Cafe Americana. So anytime you're out and about, you see a pub or a restaurant or any place named Cafe Americana, they're kind of stealing that from the movie Casablanca, which is where his character Rick, well, it's Rick's Cafe Americana. So Rick who played by Humphrey Bogart, another great quote from that movie, of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. Yeah, the whole thing's a, got a love story to it, but you got to see it. If you haven't seen it, I'd recommend you do. When it comes to watching movies, horror isn't my go-to. I'm going to like a comedy or an action, sci-fi, something like that. But man, there's been some great horror movies, so if I don't talk about them, uh, I'm missing out. I'm going to start with the classic of classics. I love watching the zombie shows now. I've seen every episode of The Walking Dead. I've seen The Fear. And now they have the world, new one. I think it's The World Beyond or something. I've seen all three series. Every episode. I'm just intrigued by zombies. You probably aren't. But you probably do know the original zombie movie that got all that started. 1968, Night of the Living Dead. Yes, it's black and white, and it's still as scary as ever. I didn't want to watch this one originally, but I did. And um, it was scary. It was 
best known for being a low-budget sensation. Now, ultimately, it did $250 million in the global box office, but that's 10 times more than it cost to make. Nobody's really said exactly how much it cost. They filmed it for $65,000. Can you believe that? But then with editing and everything, it probably came closer to $200,000. This movie premiered in the Sundance Film Festival right at midnight on purpose. The marketing campaign for this film definitely deserves classic status. So they listed the actors in this film as either missing or deceased. And this movie was well known before you could ever see it. People at the time were asking, trying to figure out, where can I see this? Where can I see it? Where can I see it? The movie, The Blair Witch Project. It was shot like the opening salvo in the selfie generation. So it was shot like a bunch of kids were out in the woods uh, filming their life and kind of following the story and doing a class project for a college class, something like that. And they tried to make it look real. So when they said the uh, actors were missing or deceased, they were winking a nod to they had died in the woods from the Blair Witch. That was an awesome hook. And uh, the movie's worth watching. You get a little scared, but just keep telling yourself it's not real. Because it looks real, but it's not real. This one's a real classic, but it's it's so corny. Leatherface? Do you know who Leatherface is? Yeah, the title of this movie is A Killer Piece of Marketing. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Just the title tells you everything you need to know. It is a classic film. It was shot in 1974, came out in 1974, and it's a classic horror film. It's worth seeing. It Just keep telling yourself it's not real and it's stupid. It's all fake. Alright, this was one of the scariest movies I ever saw, 1980. Ready for the quote? Here's Johnny. Yeah, you know the movie. Again, another Stanley Kubrick. Between De Niro being the best actor, I think, of all the films that I've watched, Kubrick, of all the films that I've watched, this guy's a god. And uh, he steady cams. Remember the kid riding the uh, big wheel with the steady cam, and you feel like you're on the big wheel with him, and all the crazy stuff going on in the hotel? Yeah, The Shining. The Shining was one of the scariest films I ever saw. That big wheel scene, I can't even look at a big wheel now and not start sweating. I got one I want to put out for you for uh, animation. I just did one because I think there's only one that really is classified as a classic film. To Infinity and Beyond. And because I don't have to tell you what movie that is or who said it, that's just proof that I was right. That's, that Toy Story is a classic film. Toy Story, if you remember, was the one that got Pixar's rolling. You know, Pixar wasn't a thing until Toy Story came out. And we all saw that lamp that kind of jumps around as they introduced Pixar. It became a, a term that we all recognized. We knew what that meant. I think that it was and probably still is a high watermark for computer-generated animation. Toy Story reinvented, really, what a family movie could be. It was kids loved it. Adults loved it somehow it magically transcends between generations and it, it appeals to everyone 
and many movies have since. And I think this was the groundbreaking one and why it gets classic film designation because of that. You recognize the features of the story, you know, the jealousy, the power dynamics, the relationships between the people, and it makes you, as an adult, remember your childhood, I think, a little bit. It was a great film. Now, computer graphics have come a long way since. If you've seen the new redone Lion King, I'm telling you, they look real. It looks like real lions standing there talking. But I'm going to go back to Toy Story being the one that got all this started. It's just going to keep getting better and better all the time. All right, I got one last film. I'm just going to leave it with this. I have a guilty pleasure. If I'm flipping through and I see that it's on, I'm going to watch this movie. I can pick it up wherever it's at, the very beginning, the very end, anywhere in the middle, and just be pleased that I'm watching it. It's just enjoyable. Are you ready? It's the Roadhouse. There's so many good quotes in Roadhouse, but it's just, um, it's a guilty pleasure. That's all I can say. I'm going to watch it. You probably think it's stupid, but you got your own guilty pleasures, right? What are they? I'd be interested to hear what you think great classic movies were in your lifetime. Ask that you go back longer than 20 years, but hit me with an email at the old man's email at yahoo.com. That's one word. There's no apostrophe before the S. The old man's email at yahoo.com. Let me know what you think are classic films, any that I left out, any that you thought was pretty stupid that I said. Yeah, they might all have been. But um, I'm interested in your thoughts. I'd love to do a listener's episode, listener stories episode, where I talk about the things that you guys like. So send me an email. What do you think is a classic movie? Well, folks, that'll be it. Another episode of the Old Man's Podcast is, as they say, in the can. I like this one. It was one of my favorite topics, movies. And we'll look at classic movies as another one of the old man's classic conversations. Now, that was just my opinion. I know I'm not the only person out there that likes movies. Got plenty of listeners that do. And your opinion is important, too. So please take me up on that offer. Fire me off an email. Tell me what you think classic movies are. Send me that email. I'd love to have enough feedback from listeners to do a listener episode podcast and just talk about movies that other people think are wonderful and classic as well. So send me that email at the old man's email at yahoo.com. Be safe out there. Get off my grass! Damn kids.